for the first time in human evolution, we get like this amount of stimulus, you know, in one, in just in multiple doses, multiple times a day. I think our, like our serotonin and dopamine receptors are just like, what is going on? I wonder how we're going to evolve in the future. Like, how our brains will evolve in in 10,000 years if the planet is still a thing. Yeah. And how how our sort of like uh, actual happiness receptors or our like well-being in our brain, how how will our brain evolve based on the the new, you know, because that's one of the things that they say is about about the modern anxiety problem is that we are using like 10,000-year-old, 20,000-year-old brains for 2021 lifestyles. Yeah. yeah, being triggered constantly by this. Yeah, yeah, world. we're literally like on crack all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of once behavioral psychology fed into startups, it like, I think it's exploded and just, yeah. just so many places grabbing your attention. Yeah. yeah. I read a thing yesterday, which I found interesting, which kind of touches on this about there is a group of people in France got put into a cave for about three weeks. The Creative Jungle podcast is all about speaking to and learning from inspiring entrepreneurs, creatives, and well-being experts. You'll hear about their non-conventional lives and journeys, what they have learned, and what tips and recommendations they have so that you too may be able to live a more creative and happier life. We hope that if you take just one thing from this podcast, it is a practical tip that you can implement into your daily life to make things a bit happier, more creative, or even just a little more inspired. The podcast is brought to you by us, Diana and Sam, a couple who co-founded MYO and Creative Jungle Company, which are all about bringing creativity to life and business. That's at MYO London and at Creative Jungle Co on Instagram. We've helped tens of thousands of adults get creative in our arts and crafts classes with a range of creative kits or during our creative thinking workshops. Could, Could you, you be, be next? next? Be sure to click that subscribe button so that you can listen to future episodes and check out the previous episodes too. Okay, now to saddle up, let's, let's go. go. So today on the podcast, we have the brilliantly passionate and honest Ai Fakeki, the founder of a well-being startup called Juno, which can be found at withjuno.com. The company tags itself as the life company and it aims to inspire more human workplaces by connecting employees directly to incredible products, services and experiences that improves their lives inside and outside of work. They also help companies provide support as diverse and as inclusive as the workforce they serve. Prior to that, he had a mix of roles as head of user engagement and growth in companies like Lockbox, forgive my pronunciation, (laughs) Clio and Yolt, along with being an art director in a consumer lifestyle PR agency. So Ali has an ideal mix of know-how about well-being, creativity and startups, which is ideal for this podcast. And we're delighted to chat to him and share his journey and thoughts with you all. Welcome, Ali. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. That was such a a nice introduction by the way no it's blushing. <laughs> I, might, I might have to use your little introduction in uh, some of our marketing material because ah. really, yeah. anytime great voice for radio <laughs> thank you um i mean 
I, I, there's so many questions I want to ask on your amazing career journey, but just to hear it from you, how would you summarize your career journey from where you started studying politics, yeah. University of Leeds, through to being an art director, through to what you're doing now? Yeah, I think it was grounded in being a bit lost and young and and not knowing what I wanted to do. I mean, I had ideas on on general themes, but um, I just I couldn't really pick a path. It was always felt so restrictive. And I actually am kind of envious of those that are like, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to pursue it. Um, but I never felt that way. I've always been a bit loosey goosey. So um, it's been it's been uh, so far uh, an adventure for sure. And definitely in, over the last few years become more cemented but yeah I, I studied politics at the University of Leeds um, because I've always been interested in politics and still am if you follow me on LinkedIn I uh, don't shy away from political conversations yeah. um, and yeah studied politics there but actually during university I needed an excuse to not turn up to seminars and that excuse was photography and filmmaking nice. um, and so and and painting as well so I got into I kind of got my creative juices flowing when I was at university and I partnered up with someone uh, to make little mini documentaries in Leeds uh, and we made some great documentaries we made one about um, these kind of I, I guess you could call them evangelical Christians um, oops sorry let's start again so I'll start from okay I teamed up with a, a friend of mine at, at Leeds and we created some documentaries, some really awesome little documentaries. Um, so one of them was with, I guess you could call them evangelical Christians. They were um, like this group of, of Christians in in Leeds that would like open up their student halls, a student home to like um, people that were in need of like housing and they would like feed the homeless and like just a very different lifestyle to yeah. normal students. And like, we really love that story. And we've made a really cool documentary about that. And we made a few others about kind of like interesting stories in and around campus. Amazing. Um, and that kind of moved on uh, to photography. And then after I left university, I was going to pursue a filmmaking career. Um, mm. But actually, in the end, I decided I wanted to be financially independent. <laughs> and, uh, and that I probably wasn't cut out to for a career in that. Um, mm. So I tried to translate my kind of creative skills into something that was more, um, I don't know, formal or more um acceptable in in the, the world of working in London um, and so that was a job in a startup uh, so I worked I kind of begged uh, the founder of this startup to take me on as an intern and be kind of their marketing person and they were really small and um he was gracious enough to let me work there and I really enjoyed the sort of gung-ho but ambitious work of working in a startup and how you can really take your creativity and, and if you're if you're like a a very um I don't know self-sufficient person or ambitious person you can kind of fulfill that in a company like a startup because yeah. there isn't necessarily as much hierarchy and if you want to take on a project like you know we have people in our team now that want to take on projects and like all power to them like let's do that like that's and I don't know I don't know if the structure of a corporate is is quite as um well suited to that which is understandable mm. and then I guess that the rest is history you know I I, um, I did have a stint in a PR agency just to see if I was still gonna you know pursue some creative uh work and, and in the end uh, you know preferred the startup life um as someone who really likes to kind of you know uh try things and be in a high intensity environment so I worked in a series of different startups after that 
Um, and then, and then fortunate enough to, to have this idea or have the idea, have me, um, yeah. late 2018 and, um, and yeah. And then Juno was, uh, was born. I love that. I love the way you described that about the idea, having you with just shows how fully absorbed you were by it. Was there anything in particular that triggered that passion with well-being at work as your mission? Um, or is it just, you just could see the potential, but yeah. Well, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty. So what I'm about to say probably sounds like, yeah, well, it makes sense if you look at it that way, but I think a lot of the things that have happened so far in my life in terms of my interests and passions and experiences kind of do culminate in some way because politics there's a lot there's a lot of politics in workplace well-being because yeah. the way you know I, I think that um it's fair to say that stress and um like bad health is, is pretty endemic in the workplace it, around the world it's just something that you accept as part of working mm. um, and that kind of says a lot about the structure and the the design of our of our culture and our society and there's a lot of politics involved in that uh so my interest in politics kind of does lend itself to my interest in kind of asking the questions about what is it that we that we're doing here on earth and and if we're going to spend so much time working why can you know what can we expect from that experience and how are things going to change and you know, if you zoom out of the, you know, because workplace well-being right now is like a huge hot topic and it was pre-COVID as well, mm. maybe not as big, but if you zoom out, we're, we're really talking about like the system that we live in, right? We're, we're, it's almost philosophical. It's like, you know, if we're going to give our lives to work, should we really be paying like health prices for that? Should we really be burning ourselves out? Should we really be in this race? Um, is it worth it? And that's always been such a fascinating thing. And I suppose I just kind of took that passion and interest and found, uh, let's call it a, a, a zeitgeist trend, which is that everyone is talking about workplace wellbeing mm. and seeing if there's something that we can do there. Mm, nice. Yeah, completely makes sense. <laughs> and I guess a bit of a long-winded question, which I know we've touched on slightly, but you mentioned like taking care of employees is so important. It's becoming more and more important. And obviously it should always have been. Um, but kind of given staff turnover and jobs not being for life as much as they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is more for kind of skeptical people who are listening, going, why should I invest lots in my employees if they're going to leave after two years? Yeah. What would you say to that? Well, I mean, for, for starters, I think employee retention isn't talked about enough because um, I spoke to someone the other day who worked in an agency and they said that their benchmark for retention was 70%, which is like a good year. And that means that three out of 10 of your staff are leaving every single year, which means in three years, you will have to renew your whole team. Mm. And as we know, not only does it cost lots to replace them, but also you're losing a lot of like passion and knowledge in the business. And, and it's super important to, to to make sure that people feel like they're in an environment that cares about them. And I think the, the pandemic has really kind of shifted our perspectives because we realized that, you know, through the furloughing and redundancies, not that they were, could have been avoided a lot oftentimes, you feel as though there's a huge change in the way people see work and, and actually think, oh my God, actually, when the SHIT hits the fan, it's not necessarily that we're in a safe we're in a safe position as people. And that's kind of a tough thing for people to reckon with. But why should they do it? Well, look, some companies look at it from an ROI perspective. I like to think of it as the right thing to do perspective. 
um you know when we look at office space before it was like well you just had to get an office that was just the way it was done you know how could you not yeah. and i think that we want to look at well-being in the same exact way as that we want to look at well-being as you know it's we're doing this because we should because we ought to we have a duty to do that um, but then, you know, other companies don't see it that way. And that's absolutely fine. I mean, there is obviously a, a very credible ROI on spending on your staff. I mean, if you can spend a, a few thousand pounds a year on keeping your staff happy and healthy and motivated, and you can keep one of them, well, you've already got your money back. Yes. So there are, there are ROI things. I tend not to, like, our website is very scant on numbers. Yeah. And that's a conscious decision uh, because... Some of our competitors and copiers uh, like to talk about how you know every pound gets four pounds back, and and as dubious as that number is, you know even if it wasn't dubious, I want to kind of give the impression to clients and to those that are interested in what we do that it's about doing it because it's the right thing to do, and then it's your duty as a business rather than it's going to make you money, and it will, but it's about it's about doing it for That's not the focus. Yeah, yeah. So kind of attracting the right mindset and kind of just yeah. Mindset is key. That yeah. you want to have you want to have happy employees. It doesn't matter exactly. even if it does cost money, which it doesn't. Yeah. You just want to be taking care of them. Yeah. As if they're a family, I guess. I used to work in Virgin. So kind of Richard Branson obviously is all about putting on fun things, investing in people, having well-being yeah. budgets and all that kind of stuff. So mm. I can I can see the power of it. Personalized mugs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just an extra touch. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, how how does Juno work then? So we've we've been talking about the backstory and a bit about the benefits of it. How does it work, and what's the typical use case? Mm. So, so Juno is very simple. We give choice and flexibility directly to employees to define what well-being means to them. Now, in layman's terms, what that means is your company will sign up to Juno. They will set an allowance every single month for you to spend on the platform. You get your allowance in the form of Juno points as an employee, and you get it every single month. And then you can spend your Juno points on the platform on whatever it is that makes you happy, from childcare to food, organic food delivery, to therapy, to a masseuse. You can get yourself a course uh, in learning a new language. You can use your points towards uh, vitamins. You can get a, um, I don't know, DNA test if you wanted to. Like, oh wow! You can you can get uh, feminine health products. You can get um, your laundry picked up. You can even get an Uber home. You know, so it's all about connecting you to a world of really incredible products and services that are meaningful. You know, it's not about perks. It's not about vouchers. It's not about getting 5% off at Halfords. You know, it's about what is it that a normal variety of modern professionals from the 21-year-old graduate to the 55-year-old, you know, exec, from the person living in, um, you know, Tower Hamlets to the person living in a hamlet in Gloucestershire, you know, or in Lagos or in LA or in Mexico City, you know, what do they need to enjoy their lives inside and outside of work? And our mission is to find that out and to connect people to those things. Yeah, absolutely. I love that mix of things, you know, almost everything you said. I was like, yeah, I do that. I do that. I do that. I'll need. <laughs> um, and I love that it's the focus of that everyday mess mm-hmm. and putting it somewhere. And I, 
I imagine that just gives the impression of a, yeah, a company that's looking after their employee holistically. Yeah, you know? your lifestyle. Because I remember once I did a talk at General Assembly and um, I asked like, a was a hundred people maybe, I asked a room full of people to put their hands up if they felt like their well-being was being impacted or it wasn't very, you know, it wasn't good well-being or whatever. And it was a smattering. It wasn't a lot of people. And then I asked them to put their hands up if they felt overwhelmed. And honestly, everyone put their hand up. And, you know, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about well-being. My, my problem with the term well-being is it's like very middle class, very Parsons Green, very like... Parsons Green. It really is. And no, no hating on Parsons Green. I lived there for like four years. But I know, so, so I can talk with authority, like well, well-being has become like this domain of like middle class white women, frankly. Mm-hmm. And actually it's been, it's been destroyed. Like what, what are we actually talking about, about when we talk about well-being? You know, we're talking about people's lives. Like we're talking about people's feeling of, of, of fulfillment. We're talking about people's like, like right to live in, in with with dignity like and not feel like they're enslaved to their job like that's what we're talking about when we're talking about well-being and we want to provide services that actually genuinely impact people's lives you know we have single mums in Sunderland using Juno to get food delivered for their kids on, on the Sunday night we have uh, lonely people living in a studio flat who've been locked away for the last nine months who are doing um, Airbnb online experiences and like learning how to cook and meeting new people. Like that's what we're talking about when we're talking about well-being. It's not about, you know, belly breaths and lunges. <laughs> Absolutely. I guess on that, is there any activities you've put on the platform that you might've been a little bit skeptical about that just people have loved? That's like, ah, oh, nobody's going to be interested in this, but then it's put on and you're like, oh, wow. People have really loved people this. Have yeah. this. Your points against. Great question. It's a great question. Um, you know, what there's never been a complete surprise we've not like fallen off our chairs because we always are quite methodical about what we add but Mm. because of the pandemic i think it's shifted a lot of people's priorities and we noticed that there was a huge surge in food um like orders like nutrition orders um, after the pandemic so before it was like barry's boot camp and those sorts of things but now since then it's been a lot more about like delivery Um, one of the things that was super popular was in the winter was sad lamps People went crazy for the oh, sad wow. lamps. They were like, oh, wow. yes, the light. Oh. Yeah. When you say sad, I was like, oh, okay. No way. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like everybody's also talking about vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D. Yeah, yeah. Inside a lot, you know. Yeah. Because you must, just by doing what you're doing, you over time, you become even more of an authority in the well-being space because yes. you will spot the trends. And like as yeah. the platform grows bigger and there's more suppliers, yeah. um, that's really, really powerful because... Powerful there'll be a point where you're almost setting the trends or like you're yeah. spot things a year ahead. Yeah, and also our, our members aren't price sensitive, right? Not to use like a boring MBA term, but like because everyone's getting points from their employer, it means that it's almost like asking someone like, what would you get if money wasn't really an object? Like it is an object, but you know, for example, self-care and we go back to the group analogy or the like well-being being Parsons Greeny. It's like, the truth is that, well, self-care is expensive. Like, yeah. Massage is expensive. Uh, 80 pounds. Therapy is expensive. Yoga is expensive. And so what we're trying to do is make it a no-brainer for an employee to say, you know what, I don't have to worry. I'll get myself a therapy session. I'll get myself a uh, vitamin box. I'll get myself this, that, or the other. I'll get myself an organic food box delivered because I don't have to come out of pocket to do it. And that means that those brands realize, 
okay, if money is no object or if it's funded by an employer, look at the different activity, like look at the different behavior that employees are, or people in general are displaying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next question here is kind of t- leading on a little bit mm. from that is like, how much money do you think company waste by doing very generalistic brush, yeah yeah like let's have a yoga session once a week or yeah. whatever the case may be yeah i mean all of it i mean we are so strongly against any kind of prescription so you know, I don't know if you saw, but Ogilvy oh, just recently. Oh yeah, <laughs> webinar once a week. What is this? Uh, just and they're an advertising agency. They're in the create. They're like at the peak of the creative world and the the the, the imagination, the lack of imagination that they show. And, and just for the listener, um, Ogilvy is a good example because they just launched a, a wellness program called One Hundred Percent You, um, which when you listen to what it is, it sounds like it's a hundred percent, not you uh, that came up with this because no one would do this. Um, It's a weekly seminar. And this is like them saying, we really care about employee wellbeing. We're going to, we've invested in technology, we've invested in buildings, and now it's time to invest in our people. And they came up with a weekly seminar with people just talking at them for an hour about nutrition, mind, money, and something else. And you can, in America, only, I think it's only in America, and you can use a time code to, you know, take an hour of your own workday to to sit here and listen to a webinar. My point is, I hate that, um, not only because it shows a complete lack of imagination and it just isn't meaningful in any way, but I also just don't like the approach of employers just deciding for employees what what they they need. It's very paternal or very kind of parental and patronizing, you know, this new world of work will require a hell of a lot of personal autonomy and companies need to be the first ones to start encouraging that in order to do that. And in order for them to succeed, we need to give people and individuals the power to make sure that they are happy, that they are productive, that they work on the terms that they need to, whether that's in the office or at home. As a result, putting on things like weekly yoga or live streamed, blah, blah, blah is all well and good. And maybe you can, you know, have a good old, you know, pat on the back, on LinkedIn about it, but let's be honest and say that if we want to actually make a difference, we need to give people the power. If you're spending a thousand pounds a month on a yoga class for a hundred people and only 30 people show up, I mean, it doesn't take a genius, um, you know, and, and, and that's what worries me is that once those companies see the monumental waste and the ineffectiveness of those programs, the finance teams will just stop culling those. Cutting the budget, yeah. Saying, well, we tried the breath work at 8 a.m. on the Monday and no one turned up somehow. And we shouldn't, we should just cut all exp- uh, things because we because no one wants to engage with it. And it's like, mm. well, how about just give them the money that you're spending, not even all of it, just a third of it, and let yeah. them pick what they want on their own terms. Yeah. Don't have to worry about stuff like that. Yeah. On that, I know, I know, um, Ogilvy, I actually know somebody who used to work on that kind of team at Ogilvy. And I I think they were very talk driven um, when people were in the office, you know, everyone loved attending the talks. But I think the important distinction is, as you said, what worked then is not going to be what's working now because work fundamentally has changed and people are much more separated from that office environment and everything needs to adapt to that. 
thing is, you know, we we used our offices as collective churches in many mm-hmm. ways because yeah. we live in an individualized society and we've been living in an individualized society since like the 60s, right? So it's not, not, not anything new. No. And as a result, we've used our places of work as our collective churches, whether mm-hmm. we like that or not. And as a and as a result of the pandemic, we're no longer in those under those roofs where we feel like you know a lot of people have work husbands and work wives and work friends and and, yes. and, so, on and so forth you know like they come into the office and a lot of their well-being and sense of self-worth and self, sense of purpose and sense of just I don't know fulfillment comes from being in and amongst their their colleagues and under a banner right under when they walk in the door they see the you know the the Ogilvy uh, you know word mark on the wall. They use that Ogilvy card to go in, and then now they're in the church, and that's gone now. At least that you know, even if it's half gone, it's a monumental change. And so, as a result, you have to work really, really hard. You know, Ogilvy is now going to be and has been in the year in the, over the years, as well as many other companies now living. You know that that brand is now in people's homes, and so if that's the case, then. You could argue that their employee engagement reaches further than nine to five. It reaches into the childcare. It reaches into the loneliness of their staff. And they do have to have more imagination. It's like, it's not that hard, in my opinion, to actually make a difference and to actually impact people's lives. I don't think, you know, it's that hard at all. Um, So, so yeah, I, I mean... It's a challenge and it's not something that we've volunteered to do. COVID has been thrust upon us, of course. Um, We're not going to get it right tomorrow. You know, it's it's an evolution um, Mm. within a revolution. You know, it's the biggest change since computers. You know, it's the biggest change in the workplace since since the Internet. so, so it's a revolution, but it's a it's a change that will be inc- incremental, and a lot of a lot of mistakes will be made along the way. Yeah, moving a bit onto um, creativity because that's been fed in. You need to have more imagination, <laughs> um, being creative with how you approach well being. Uh, I want to link the two much more closely. So, do you think literal create well actually however you define creativity do you think being creative has well-being benefits for us obviously that's our bread and button that's totally what we believe in through and through and we think it's an activity that is maybe often overlooked in companies especially in the old world of work where it was that fun thing to do but in this new world where we realize that well-being as as you said is so far reaching or things that deliver increase in well-being is so far reaching how do you think creativity links in with that yeah so i mean in in the case of myo i mean i mean sam we've had that conversations in the past and i think that what i love about getting out of the monotony and doing something inherently creative is not only is it just it's nice to break up the working day in a very kind of superficial level Mm. but also you know building new neural pathways and finding new you know enjoying something with with others or enjoying them in a way that you've not enjoyed before i mean doing something that you get your hands dirty that you you know probably wouldn't have done had you been asked to do it with work uh you know having just a, a break in the in the standard routine is is so is is beneficial now creativity is something that not 
everyone finds the ther- the, like it therapeutic. Uh, for example, when I, at the end of my day, I'm a very creative person. The last thing I want to do is think or do anything. I just want to sit there and look at the wall sometimes. <laughs> um, so it really is about finding your own happy, you know, your, your medium, whatever it is that, whether that's being creative uh, or whether it's uh, doing nothing, which I think we don't do enough of, by the way, uh, doing yeah. nothing. Yeah, there is a beauty yeah. in just sitting there. We're programmed to just have busy brains almost, and it feels yeah. weird not having that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's all been sort of jacked all the way up because we're so screen-oriented that, you know, for the first time in human evolution, we get like this amount of stimulus you know, in one, in just in multiple doses, multiple times a day. I think our like our serotonin and dopamine receptors are just like, what is going on? I wonder how yeah. we're going to evolve in the future, like how our brains will evolve in in ten thousand years if the planet is still a thing. Yeah, and how how our sort of like uh, actual happiness receptors or our like well being in our brain, how how will our brain evolve based on the the new, you know, because that's one of the things that they say is about about the modern anxiety problem is that we are using like 10,000 year old, 20,000 year old brains for 2021 lifestyles. Yeah. Uh, Being triggered constantly by this. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're literally like on crack all the time. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Kind of once behavioral psychology fed into startups, it like I think it's exploded and just yeah. so many places grabbing your attention. Yeah. yeah. I read a thing yesterday, which I found interesting, which kind of touches on this about there is a group of people in France got put into a cave for about three weeks and kind of they had lighting and stuff in the cave, but it's kind of no phones. They just about 15 to 20 people went down for three weeks. With nothing, just with nothing. literally, yeah. And they had to like entertain themselves. They like, I think a bit of food was brought in, but largely just away from society in a cave. And I think almost half of them, A, it went by really quick. You'd think if you're in a cave for three weeks, it would feel like months, but it was like, yeah. they all, because they're, the, when their sleeping patterns and stuff got a bit adjusted, they couldn't see daylight. So they it felt a lot shorter for lots of people. But also, loads of people that came out wanted to go back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? And it's really, when I heard that, I was like, there's just something wrong, wrong. with the way society is structured and touching yeah. on the brain thing, or like so many people's brains just can't handle totally understandably everything yeah. that's going on. It's just yeah. information overload, just work stress. Is, is I all mean, sorts that's of absolutely fascinating. They wanted to go back in a cave, yeah, because modern day life is just too—it's too much. I yeah. feel like I, I sometimes metaphorically want to go back into the yeah, cave. Me yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Um, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Do you want to go back? So yeah, so yeah. No, that was a great answer on, on creativity and just people finding creativity isn't for everybody. People of different yeah. releases go for, look at a wall, go yeah. for a walk in the forest, swim, whatever. There's tons of different ways. Mm. And um, actually, on that, I read something. You know, being bored is really good for your imagination. Yeah. Which again is something we don't. Ap- appreciate not being constantly stimulated and taking things in is yeah. harnessing your imagination yeah like that's the classic where do you come up with your best ideas yeah. what's to be is in the shower or on a walk or yeah. something like that for tons yeah. of people um so yeah just getting away from well, one thing i didn't mention is that when i first started juno i left my um i left my 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 well-paid tech job and i was like, I can't take another tech job because it will like muddy my thinking. So I worked as a waiter in the Troubadour in Oscorp for 
for a year actually because even after we raised funding I was still working there I worked there on New Year's Eve did um, you wow so I was I, I, I kind of uh, you know that taught me a fu- Ooh, I can't use that word oh you can swear you can. it's okay <laughs> okay that taught me a fuckload about life and about work and about identity because I would always I'd be talking to like you know I'd be waitering and I'd be like waiting on a table of uh, of young people that clearly like had jobs similar to mine and they would be talking about it and I would be like don't mention anything just you're the waiter and that's okay and you don't have to say oh I've got a startup too or anything like that like there's no reason you know what what, what is it that's cre- wanting you know what is it that makes you want to say that you're not a, just a waiter like and the people that I met in that uh, in that restaurant are the best people I know like that I know you know they're you know when you talk about flat structure you know all these organizations no a restaurant is a really flat, a flat is the is the flat structure or at least the one I worked in um but yeah so doing that gave me the chance that in the evenings or if I was working evenings in the mornings I would have the because I would be thinking constantly you know whilst working about kind of how I could build the, the brand and the business and that was a really nice way of me yeah me being able to work things out in my head on each episode we want to shout about a charity or social enterprise we are passionate about today we'd like to mention young minds who are fighting for a future where all young minds are supported through life whatever the challenges Children and young people with mental health problems are at the heart of everything they do, and we believe it's a very worthy cause doing amazing things. Find out more at youngminds.org.uk. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, no, that makes tons of sense. It's just giving your brain the space and the energy to process things and, and work on ideas. And that actually leads us really nicely to the next question, because... Running, as you said, running a startup, but as you know, it requires so much creative creativity and creative thinking and constant making of decisions. Yeah. What is some of the smartest, or what are some of the smartest decisions you think you've made, or the most creative decisions that you think you've made? Oh, that's a great question. No one's asked me that before. I mean, look, we've when we're so at the beginning, so I think that they're still to come. Um, I think one of the things I learned, and this kind of flips your question on the head, is that the dumb decisions that I've made are the ones where I didn't really make a decision at all. I made like half a decision. Mm-hmm. And because of fear, I've been, I've there have been times where I've been really non-committal with certain things. Like I've been non-committal with hiring someone, I'd bring them on part-time, or non-committal with a partner, or non-committal with um an initiative or a program. And I think that that is something that I wish I'd just made the decision at the time and because of the fear you think that you know that things might not work out the way that you want them to or there's a risk involved and you're not sure whether it's financial risk or whether it's like you know bringing on someone that you're not entirely sure would thrive in the organization or whether you can afford to pay them or all that stuff the truth is that actually by not making the decision and making a half decision you've kind of created half results you know Um, so in terms of smart decisions, starting, um, I would say, and I'm not really in a position to give advice because I'm not, you know, I've just, I'm only just doing this, like, you know, it's not like I'm Richard Branson, but my, some of the things that I've taken away from in terms of advice, um, 
in terms of decision is anyone who wants to start a business needs to just start. And I know that that's a really annoying thing to hear, but a lot of people I speak to say, so I have this idea. Okay. This is the idea. Okay. I need 50,000 pounds to build it. And it's like, okay, well, there you are. So that 50,000 pounds is your mental block to not doing anything. It's your excuse. You know, your excuse is, I can't afford to build it and I need 50,000 pounds. The truth is you don't. The truth is you can probably start a free, you know, whatever it is, you distill your business idea into something that you can build for free and build a community around and start getting a bit of traction. You know, the most important thing is to get people to care about what you're trying to solve as a problem and do it in the most cheap and easy way possible, which is what, what, what we did at Juno. And that worked for us because that way you're just you're just doing it right so just doing it is this is one of the smartest decisions um but then you know to flip the question i, I don't know if there's been like these master this you know these, these absolutely awful decisions i've made up until now i mean one of the things that i would say um worked out well for us was um during the, the lockdown um the first one we started this kind of food drive essentially oh yeah mm. yeah tell us about that so i don't know if you remember i'm sure you do but when we first had the first lockdown boris um kind of recommended that we all do our shopping online and because all the supermarkets were shut or at least they weren't shut but they were like the, the long queues and everything yeah yeah God, that's bring that just gives me like shivers. I know and the toilet the toilet roll grabs. Mm. Oh, the baking, yeah. the baking grab. <laughs> so much banana bread. Anyway, so um so we were I was thinking about that and I was like, what because I'm you know, I think our team are just obsessed with making sure that the people on our on our platform are getting what they need. And I remember thinking, what would really help right now is being able to find to find and source food delivery to people because all the websites are down, like all of the Ocados and the whatevers are down, like it's impossible to find it. So we, it was three people at the time. Um, uh, so me and my colleague basically uh, just hunted every hotel caterer, every food box delivery company, every like grocery, local grocery store or whatever, and just quickly partnered with them to provide like food to our members. Um, so yeah, that was awesome. That was really cool. I really enjoyed doing that. It felt very fulfilling to help people. And mm-hmm. we had people that were self-isolating, people with elderly parents, like to be able to kind of do that was a really incredible, you know, that was, that made the pandemic, especially the beginning of it feel like we really had a purpose and, and that kind of put us on the map in a way. Yeah. Nice. What I love about that answer is A, that is a creative answer in the sense that you made something of nothing that wasn't, you know, you made, you made something that wasn't there. You saw a problem, you saw people that needed it and you made it happen. The quick commitment that you did as well with your team, just saying, you know what, let's do this. Whoever I can grab to partner with, let's do that. And then they're doing it together. Yeah. Um, I love, and I can just, yeah, I can just imagine how fulfilling that was. So It was amazing. It was yeah. so rewarding. And kind of on that point, like yeah, two things jumped out for me is one is kind of almost using the company and the structure you set up as a vehicle and it yeah. can and it's adaptable and it doesn't have to follow the path that it's set out to do, yeah. which can be really helpful. And then almost like by just doing, and it, you touched on about the startup 
like you just have to get going but it's like the universe which we're talking a lot mentioned a lot on the podcast you will be rewarded or like you will get a flash of an idea like what you did with the food delivery like if Mm. you just keep doing it and your intentions are true and trying to be helpful Mm. ideas pop in you get connected to people you might get introduced for somebody who Mm. offers you funding like it's just the doing Mm. because i think yeah focus on the possibilities rather than the the roadblocks as you touch yeah every wall is a has a window in it you know that's kind of or a door you know that the we our our minds our brains kind of love to play tricks on us and we and i'm not someone that is averse is, is completely averse to this like i have the same problem as well you know our brain loves comfort and and self-preservation um you know our amygdala and our like lizard brain is really into self-preservation as obviously because that's why we're here on this earth and doing difficult things and putting ourselves outside of your comfort zone is comfortable and that's why it's called a comfort zone but opening doors and just going through walls if you need to and just doing stuff like it's always easier to steer a ship that's moving than to move one that's just standing still still. yeah um and that's kind of you know I'm not again you know it's difficult for me to kind of sit here and say at 29 years old that I figured it out but in the last sort of eight years let's say I've just done a hell of a lot of random stuff and you know after Juno there'll be something else random maybe I'll go back into filmmaking I don't know but you kind of just do the things that make sense in the moment and then not overthink things and and then, you know, you'll look back and go, well, you know, serendipitously that decision was actually the, the right one. And I don't think I can look back and say I have regrets over what, like, any decision or anything, you know. Um, so, so yeah. Mm, absolutely. Well, There's one favourite quote. I don't know where I heard it or whether I've just made it up, but um, it's inspiration has to find you working. Or inspiration mm. finds you working, which I, right. I, I really love, Yeah. On to a bit of a serious question, and then we'd love to chat about kind of your own well-being and your routine and stuff like mm. that, because I guess you've you first dibs and all the things on the platform, which is yeah. quite fortunate. Yeah. Um, but just from a, it's a relatively serious question, I guess. It's kind of in a company, the well-being initiatives are really important for keeping people engaged and healthy and happy. But kind of almost behind that, um, there can be a lot of structural things or fundamental things in a company which as they flow down can cause a lot of stress, whether yeah. it's having very unrealistic timelines on projects and under-resourcing things and not investing in the right place and all that kind of stuff. Um, is there? Do you have any tips for kind of leaders or managers that are listening to be more empathetic and run happier teams and companies? Yeah, plenty. Um, so I actually met a, uh, the CEO of Staffbase a couple of weeks ago, um, this German business and his name is Martin, and he said something that was really interesting and kind of was very poignant, actually, which was that um, companies shouldn't be focusing on, like, employee engagement as much as focusing on, like, storytelling. Mm. And I think what he means by that is essentially, like, his, his platform is a, is, a, is a communications tool for, for businesses, and they can build their own apps, and they can sort of share company news and build stories around, around what they do. And I think that because we are so story-oriented as a species, it's really important to continue from the top, you know, if we're going to talk top down from a brand perspective, that communication and that storytelling is super important. Obviously, transparency is super important as well. Now, I'm obviously going to say the obvious, the thing that I would would always say, which is that choice and flexibility is the is the aim. Okay, companies should be aiming 
to democratize as much as they can. Now, you know, flexibility is something that has been hugely, you know, talked about pre-COVID. And now it's like, right, we're here now. We have to deal with this. We have to do it. We have to actually, you know, embrace it. And flexibility isn't about um, the logistics, I think. It's about changing the dynamic between businesses and their, te- and their teams. And so senior leadership have to kind of accept it's kind of sink or swim here, you know, uh, seeing businesses that kind of, look, everyone has a right, you know, private companies have a right to make their own decisions and make their own, what they think is right for their business. And I wouldn't sit here and say that senior leaders or anyone in the business has the the wrong intentions. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue. They always have the right intentions, which generally is for the business to succeed. Now, some of their opinions are, well, look, you know, it was only a year really, and we're not going to like, completely rip up the fabric of what we used to do just for the sake of a pandemic for a year that was unavoidable. So let's get back into the office, pretend, not pretend like it never happened, but generally not really give much credence to this huge upheaval because it's, you know, it's only been a year and so on and so forth. I just can't imagine seeing any other outcome from that aside from a kind of Kodak mentality of, well, we're going to deny the evolution of what's going on around us, hope it never happens again, hope it goes away forever, and we can go back to normal. But the truth is that that in history hasn't really been the case. And so embracing change is always generally the the wise thing to do. Um, And seeing the sort of tumult of COVID, and I know that, as I said earlier, it's not something that has been chosen. It's been something that's been given to us. And as a result... We have to try to see if we can adapt. So having an open mind about embracing a potential new world of working is, is super important. But the main thing, the main, 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 main thing is giving people flexibility and choice. Because even with things like working from home and working days and working hours, you know, why should a company decide, right, we're working three days a week in the office? Why should a company decide we're getting rid of it you know there's got to be some kind of you know and i'm sure it is i'm not you know, arguing that all companies are doing this but those the, the companies that are kind of putting the power in the hands of their employees are the ones that are going to be future proof and that's the, those are the kind of companies people are going to want to work for yeah you know um as i mentioned at the beginning at the top of the call was um you know people a lot of people would have been made redundant in the last year and redundancy is a killer, right? It's just, it's a real gut punch. And I'm fortunate to have never been made redundant, but I can imagine, you know, people don't just work for money. They work for a sense of purpose and pride and, and a sense of, you know, place in their society and, and being made redundant in, in can be really like a painful experience. Mm-hmm. And Even so I would, the word redundant just doesn't. Yeah. It's, such a, it's like, you know, calling someone irrelevant. It's like, yeah. well, okay. <laughs> And so as a result, you know, I think a lot of people will look at this time, uh, you know, if they have been on the end of it, or at least seen others that have, and think, well, why would I be loyal to a company that that can just happen to me tomorrow? And I'll just be like, all right, well, I guess I'll just pack my bags, you know? So I think a lot of people will look at corporate, the corporate world and, and think, well, they have a lot of power, but they have a lot of power over us. And in many ways, you'll probably see 
a resurgence of small businesses and companies building built up of new entrepreneurs and new founders who don't necessarily they reject the old way and so you know to to, to kind of you know summarize what the, the answer is the leaders and the businesses that embrace change and do it in a very collaborative way with a grassroots approach are going to be the ones that a 12 year old now who's going to turn 21 in 10 years is going to want to work for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you have a, if you think you stand a chance of surviving and bringing in new, you know, new, new workforce, you've got to be that kind of business. Yeah, absolutely. Great answer. The longest answer we've had ever, yeah. <laughs> but really, really good answer. Yeah. So thank you. Um, the next one, just going to you, I guess, and your well-being habits. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. What's a typical week look like for you? And kind of have any things particularly worked, or yeah. do you have things that you just you're like that's just a crock, crock of crap. Like that's yeah. this thing that loads of people do. There's nothing to back up that it's actually useful. Yeah, most of it, in my opinion. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so look, um, I'm not the best at all at it uh, in fact sometimes i call myself like i call us and our team like uh, uh, like um what do they call them um uh martyrs which yes. we're not but like we do suffer a lot for the success and well-being of others uh, we work very very hard so it's not easy and lockdown i'm a social person so lockdown has been especially difficult for me um but uh you know in terms of routine Having a routine is super important, right? And I think everyone knows that. Um, it's something that kind of takes your mind off the anxiety of the day if you have a routine in the morning. I've been quite good at that, running every morning and walking the dog for an hour. Um, I'm not a breathwork yoga person, to be honest with you, but I do do personal training twice a week. Um, as a founder, I do weekly counseling um, because I thought if I'm managing people, I might as well sort myself out before I kind of overload my shit onto them, which I'm sure anyone hearing this from my team will think, well, they need a lot to do a lot. More. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a kind of not a duty, but I, I, I strongly you know, believe that that anyone in a position of power should should have that kind of support. And I'm glad that I do. And it is it is relatively helpful. Yeah. One of our um, one of our advisors is also kind of my 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 coach as well. Like my and and I always used to frown at that, but Janine is incredible and has been an amazing help to me. Um, especially if you're a first time entrepreneur, having someone that is non judgmental and is not going to tell you what to do is really useful. Like I found um, mentors or future would be would be mentors to be good, but it's very easy to say you should be doing more of this and less of this when you're not actually the one um, covered in blood in the ring. Um, and, you know, it's not any sort of judgment on them, but it's just more that from my own well-being, you know, taking on criticism is always welcomed, but in sometimes, you know, you have to just do it and not seek advice. Like one of the biggest sort of factors in my well-being is that um, limiting the number of voices around me um, that aren't in my own team. Uh, because I am quite impressionable and as a result you know you, you kind of get veered off and it starts to pull on your insecurity and your sense of self-worth so so you know from a personal perspective trying to limit the voices in you know, around in and around you giving advice is definitely a, a, an advice I could give but that's my own personal experience in terms of like you know well-being in the traditional sense um uh, you know I uh, 
I used to love yoga actually, but because of COVID, haven't really been able to. I think movement is super important. Um, you know, after this call, me and my colleague are going to go for a walk uh, just to get out of the house. Unfortunately, the sun's kind of gone away, but um, and uh, but yeah, not not the best. I mean, I'm reading actually reading a book which I should go and grab because you, I think uh, you're going to ask me about that, right? So I, I'll give you a book that I'm reading that I'm really enjoying. Yeah. Oh my god! I, I have no know idea what, what you're talking about there. I, I so. want to know what it is. Um, oh, in terms of recommendation, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's a bit of your routine. Um, I think, and it's probably the same with everybody. Everybody can probably feel like they're doing mm, more, but yeah. at least they're doing a lot, yeah. which is really good because it's. Um, I think people can feel it needs to become an all-encompassing thing, mm. taking care of their well-being, but just doing something and trying to do something daily can have a huge impact. Yeah, I love that is. you have that daily practice. I think that's. That's that's a consistency of a quantity. <laughs> and kind of coming. Oh, sorry. You feel so proud of yourself. You're like, oh, I've done this 21 days in a row. I went for a run 21 days in a row. That's amazing. Like, and and obviously, you know, once you start a habit, it's really easy to continue. Like, um, and hopefully, it's not like a bad one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> smoking. And yeah, I think the the morning thing I think is so important for and just to say for people listening is like if you can have at least an hour and a half before you start working to just do things that you want to do. And it could be anything. I think it's so important to just settle yourself. A lot of people, especially now, get up half an hour later, they're on the laptop and they're working. And I think you're not really setting yourself up to succeed for the day. So just kind of having some time um, before your working day can be really, really helpful. Okay, recommendations. So let's do some recommendations, whether it's books, podcasts, whatever the case is. Mm. And then if you could share where people can find out about what you're up to and any kind of exciting things coming up just to wrap up that'd be fantastic let me go and grab the book hold on yes <laughs> how to do the work recognize your patterns heal from your past and create yourself by dr nicole lapera the holistic psychologist now i'm going to be honest the word the holistic psychologist gives me like bullshit alarms but i've enjoyed it uh, so far i've read like 76 pages so far nice um, so recommendation a recommendation that's been sitting on my shelf and i need to finish is this one james o'brien who's the lbc presenter it's called how not to be wrong mm. <laughs> um, and it talks about how like his schooling has been a big kind of influence on the way that he is and the way that he kind of because uh, obviously this guy you know he's built his whole career on disagreeing with people or at least putting people in their place and there's a lot of psychology and, and um there's a lot of um pathology that kind of creates that kind of person and i i found this book i haven't finished it but but really fascinating in terms of podcasts i'm a bit of a podcast nut so I really like Russell Brand's videos on YouTube. I think that he encapsulates how I feel just so well. He's such a well-spoken guy. Um, and I really like his takes on like pop culture. Um, in terms of podcasts, I'm trying to look at my podcast now. So um, How I Built This is cool. I like that one. I love How I Built This. Nice. Especially yeah. when you're really on in the journey, it just really yeah. fires you up for, yeah. It's, it's great i really like it um wtf with mark Marin, really really cool because he's like one of the few interviewers so he's a comedian and he interviews like he's interviewed barack obama he's interviewed like brad pitt and george Clooney. like he's, he's like he he gets all of the great the great guests wow. but what i like about him is he asks like 
about people's upbringing and backgrounds and like he, he asks good questions and he gets people in a very nice kind of frame of mind and they're very open and I, I really really like the way that he interviews um, his guests um, I also have listened recently to so there's this one that is very fringe and it has the most incredible podcast it's called um, Dharma Punks NYC so this guy is the most fascinating guy. So he's called Josh Corder. He's a clinical psychologist, but he's and a, and a Buddhist teacher. He's based in New York. He used to be a proper, proper punk rocker. He's covered in tattoos, like face tattoos, arm tattoos. Was an addict, I think, um, in his twenties. Um, super, super, like you know, like hard, hardcore, and then, you know, finds Buddhism and, and becomes a clinical psychologist. And he does these talks and he does them for free. When I was in New York, I went to see him and I couldn't believe that there was someone I was listening to for five years in front of me. And I didn't even say hello. I was like, I'm just going to leave these yeah. you know, little minor celebrity in my life. But the guy, he is incredible. So he talks about things like, you know, anxiety, loneliness, feelings of resentment, feeling, um, you know, self-worth, um, you know, uh, attachment, all these things, but he does it in such a way that's very easy to understand. And I really highly recommend his podcast. So I could send you the link, um, but it's Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, Punks, P-U-N-X, N-Y-C. Um, and I've been listening to that for the last sort of six, six years. Um, and, and it's been an incredible, I mean, it's like, I don't know if you've ever heard anything where you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I feel that way. That's exactly mm. the way that he encapsulates it is, is really, really, really good. Nice. nice. Oh, definitely check that out. Because yeah. I think on a lot of that stuff, there's like, you're dep- if you're not depressed, like clinically almost, get over it. Yeah. Like has kind of been a little bit of a thing. It was like mm-hmm. everybody has issues with all this stuff, self-worth, anxiety to different extremes and to mm-hmm. different levels. But kind of it's really refreshing to see that like there's vehicles and, and books and people talking about this stuff just yeah. to make you feel normal. Because yeah. I think that's the big thing that people struggle with is they might feel anxious and feel they're abnormal. And like, why why do I feel this way? And mm-hmm. it can make it a lot worse. But mm-hmm. everybody has some sort of... I wouldn't say mental health issue or illness, but they have yeah. things going on in their Everyone brain. Everyone has mental health. Yeah. Every, yeah. yeah. Um, put it far more eloquently than I can. Yeah, that yeah, people have have mental health and, and things that they want to work on and improve and look after. Um I'm curious, tell me a bit more about how they do how to do the work. What what's that book about? So Great question. <laughs> seventy pages. Seven. Have you really read seventy? <laughs> I imagine I just I just brought it. No. So basically, um, she talks about her her initial life. Um, you know, busy woman, very kind of successful, thirty, um, and not really considering how holistic our well-being is. That it's not just our mind. You know, Western medicine separates the mind and the body. You know that. The, if you break your arm, you break your arm and, you know, you, you don't have a equivalent of breaking your mind, although maybe you do. Um, so essentially her, she's framed it as I started feeling very unwell. Her, she did. And uh, I was actually, I should, I should put it in third, per, in in second person so that you like, but it doesn't sound like I'm saying this, but <laughs> she, um, she noticed that she would, you know, have these bouts of sickness that were kind of linked to her stress. And she, 
kind of capped off by her just like randomly fainting um, and thinking that that was like normal to be so stressed all the time and normal to kind of live the life that a lot of us live. Right. And that kind of got her thinking about how holistic, you know, how gut affects your mind and how like, you know, there are, there are definitely like parts of your, you know, that your, that your, your mind and your body are really all one and how, healing your body you know with yoga for example and breathing can really kind of settle the mind and you know all the parts of the brain that are all affected with this you know for example the vagus nerve that goes from your like top of your head like the, the forehead down to your gut which is kind of like regulates your your anxiety response and your fear response and then it really interestingly and i think all like all, all conversations about anxiety I mean, this doing the work is basically about, you know, building better, better habits and being a lot more in tune with your, with you, with holistically your body and, and so forth. So I think what, it, it, for me, reading a lot about this stuff, anxiety, unfortunately, I have to say, is a very self-centered emotion. Mm. Um, and anxiety is something that has kind of cropped up since we've become this more individualized society where we don't have and loneliness is one of the other ones as well which is we don't have like a unifying um let's call it a myth as as russell brand might say and that's essentially you know been you know the church being replaced or nationhood being replaced and mm -hmm. so we're all consumers in in this world now right so we're all you know uh uh consumers individuals and so on so anxiety has come about because we are where there is a lot of pressure there's a lot of insecurity there's a lot of expectation on us as individuals to kind of like live and build our own personal i don't want to use the word personal brand because it seems flippant but like yeah i know what you mean identity really identity, identity exactly. yeah. we have to like self-source our identity and it's so difficult to do that um and so as a result, like our amygdalas and, and, and our fear response, our anxiety responses are triggered because we, we sense uh, danger that isn't actually really here. Mm. Um, and so we try and fill that void and we try and like sort of tame that anxiety by kind of like running around a lot and doing stuff and hurting our own bodies, whether it's through drugs and alcohol, you know, what they call um, maladaptive coping strategies. Uh, in other words, like you feel this kind of sensation in your chest or your stomach. And so you, you medicate it by getting, you know, by drinking or by, you know, even, you know, and then there's obviously, you know, uh, um, uh, adaptive coping strategies like running or, or like yoga. These are all ways of us trying to kind of cope with the feeling of, of life in this time. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, isn't, you know, we're adapting to as a, as a species, which is like hyper stimulated, very, focused on your self-esteem our economy is built on you feeling bad because if you didn't feel bad you wouldn't buy that hair product or that car right mm -hmm. so you know the whole thing since the 60s or the 50s has all been about how you're not enough mm -hmm. and so if we feel like individualized we're not enough we have to build our own personalities we have to be these productive like entrepreneurs all of us has a business inside of them as, yes. as that charlotte and gary v likes to say like <laughs> not right it's a lot of pressure it's a shitload of stuff that you have to like as a young person especially like how do you you know you, you, it's harder to find love it's harder to have children it's harder to have like some kind of family unit so how mm. does a young person deal with that and add on top of the expectations the economics the threat of climate change the threat of fucking terrorism like god like it's, it's a, a lot. lot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I kind of, to be honest, I don't even watch the news really anymore. Mm. I just 
keep it once a week, have a look, see what's going on on BBC because you just get sucked into things and like it's yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, if I didn't see that, everything would be fine and yeah. I'd have more energy to what I'm trying to achieve. Absolutely. So to kind of wrap up mm. with Juno, where's the best place for people to find out about the great stuff that you're doing? Yeah. Uh, anything exciting in the pipeline coming up? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, website is withjuno.com. So W-I-T-H-J-U-N-O.com. You will learn all about what we do. If you are a business owner or managing director or HR person who's interested in learning more, um, you know, there's a there's a link on our website that will get you in touch with all of our team. Um, we are also on LinkedIn and I uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn as well. I'm sure there'll be a link in the the about part of this podcast um in terms of exciting things going forward uh well we just keep keep on going uh keep on going and um and uh and hope for more success uh, this year and in the future brilliant it's yeah it's been incredible seeing your journey Ali, over the last two plus years Mm. Um, there's so much good stuff on the platform as well so if you're listening be sure to check check it it out out. recommend Mm. it to your employers your person to your management anyone in the company because i think everybody would benefit from having the platform um, in their company so that's the end of that episode We hope you enjoyed. What did you learn? If you haven't subscribed yet, be sure you do so you get first dibs on all future episodes. Be sure to check out the previous ones too. There's tons of useful nuggets in them. We do the podcast for free in the hope that it is helpful to you. So any support is much appreciated to help us grow it. Tell a friend, your dog, your cat about the podcast. If you enjoyed it or even better, leave us a review. We absolutely love reading them. If you fancy getting a little creative, be sure to check out at MYO London or at Creative Jungle Co on Instagram or just get in touch. Here's to a more colourful, creative and happier rest of your week. You You got got this, this, you creative creative legends. legends.